Thanks for checking out the UNI Salt Company podcast. To learn more about us, go to saltcedarfalls.com. All right, Salt Company. How are you guys doing? Is it because winter is still here? Right? Always winter, never Christmas. I know. It's a, someone said it's January 74th. I feel like that. That's true. But I'm having a pretty good week. I bought a new pillow. I'm an adult. So yesterday, yeah, I slept incredibly well last night. It was amazing. It's called the Perfect Pillow. They're on sale at Yonkers because obviously that place is going out of business. Uh, so one piece of semi-adult advice. Invest in a good pillow. You will not regret it. So fun fact before we dig into the Bible... Good pillows equal good people. No, that's not true. <laughs> Whoops, that's not what I meant. So uh, two weeks ago, if you weren't with us, and if you were, we're catching back up and diving back into our series called Gospel Change. Because we unpacked a couple weeks ago this reality, or we revisited our birth story. So if you remember, we talked about that first breath we took when we met Jesus, that first inhale and exhale, and all that happened when we did that, or when it happened. And simply, if you're like, okay, what did I miss? What wasn't I there for? I want you to know that when you are saved by Jesus, it has nothing to do with what you do. That's what you missed a couple weeks ago, that your salvation has nothing to do with what you do. And that's good news. But Paul, the original author of this, I think he encountered a few problems because when you start talking about grace that free, people start to abuse it. And there are a couple camps in the room that I almost want to separate us into or see if maybe you fall into before we move forward and dive into what God has for us tonight. So the first, you hear, you mean I can do whatever I want and God still loves me? And you go buck wild, right? Like freshman year house party wild. You see everything you can do and you're like, well, if he loves me anyways, might as well do it, right? I'm going to freak out. You don't worry about consequences, You don't take sin seriously. And actually what it causes or may cause is maybe not this bold like, I love booze, I'm going to chug it, but maybe an apathy towards sin in your life where you don't recognize the consequences or even in your heart you just grow complacent to patterns of sin that are developing in your life. What I want you to know if maybe that's you or you feel your heart leaning that way is this. The gospel is not a license for sin it's freedom from sin. The gospel is not a license for sin, it's the freedom from sin. And to be content with staying in any sin you're in is to grossly misunderstand how horrible, poisonous, and actually serious sin is in your life and to the world around you. Now, I think group number two is where a lot of my Christian friends in the room are gonna find yourselves, actually. You are exhausted and you're defeated. You hear, okay, it has nothing to do with what I do, and that's a good thing, because you can't seem to stop doing the things you shouldn't. You're exhausted because as hard as you try, and as much as you want to be free, you just can't seem to kick the sin in your life. What I want you to know, tonight especially, is that the good news of the gospel means that it removes your guilt. The gospel removes the guilt of your sin and the power of sin in your life. So it's not just going to declare you not guilty. It's actually going to start getting rid of the sin in your life. 
you are free from its guilt and from its power when it comes to the gospel. That means you're loved in spite of how ugly you really are and given the power to get rid of the sin in your life. And if you fall into either of those, though, this defeated category or this freshman house party category, which a lot of you didn't because you didn't laugh, um, you might be having an identity crisis and you need to pull a Simba and remember who you are, right? Thank goodness I'm not that old, right? Mufasa comes out of the clouds and he goes, Simba, not very helpful. Thanks a lot, Dad. Remember who you are. He slurps away. He's gone into the clouds, right? And I'm not a giant lion, obviously, with a booming deep voice and uh, not that impressive, but I do have the Bible and Mufasa can't hold a candle to Jesus, so we're going to open that, okay? So Romans 6, Romans 6. You guys like that? Mufasa, Jesus, yeah, he got killed by a bunch of wildebeests. Jesus wouldn't do that. Um, Romans chapter 6. Yeah, sorry to bring that back. That's a painful moment. I apologize. I even got a little of a clemped there. Yeah, I just want to ask for your forgiveness. Romans 6, first 14 verses. I'm going to read it because it might be the best thing you hear tonight is God's word. And then I'm going to start to unpack it for us. So Romans chapter 6, first 14 verses. Follow with me. Paul says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For in light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead... Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. Let me pray. Jesus, I am an inadequate man with inadequate things to say, but I see your word and I so believe it that I'm asking you now to empower me and empower these students to receive it. Help us to recognize that we didn't come here to just do church. And if we did, we're in for a surprise because the living God is here to meet with us and to change us. Would we all have open hearts, open minds, and open ears to hear what you have to say? And would we never be the same because of it? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Paul had these guys saying, okay, wait a minute. So the more I sin, the more grace God has to pour out, right? And he's like, yep, that's true. So isn't it amazing that although I continue to sin, God shows even more grace, even more grace, even more grace. Doesn't that make him look even better because he has to keep doing that and it shows his love and demonstrates who he is. 
And although it seems to make sense, and I actually got asked that question after my sermon two weeks ago, so help me understand, if I keep sinning and God loves me despite of it, why should I stop? And Paul, he'd been around the block a few times and got that same objection. So why can't we keep doing it? He says in verse six, or chapter 6, verse 1, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So Paul's response, I don't know if you've ever done this. Uh, my daughter's done it once. Where you accidentally ask a woman if she's pregnant when she's not, right? That's kind of offensive, right? Okay, so that's where we're at, right? Okay, or when Ryan Howard wants to date Stanley's daughter and he goes, have you lost your mind, boy? Because I'll help you find it, right? You feeling me? I always have an office joke. I try. I try for you. Um, it's offensive, right? It's like, hey, do you want to run into oncoming traffic? Like, that's the level of offense and even greater that Paul is having here. The, there's like this uh, British uh, commentator. I just want to read this because it's fun. He said, perish the thought. That's what he said. That's how offensive it is. That joke didn't land. It's repulsive <laughs> and offensive to Paul. Sin is nasty, right? So what that means is to see this kind of life, continuing in sin, as an optional way for a Christian to live. It's not possible, and you're misunderstanding sin, okay? It's like if you knew a family reunion was coming up, so you went and dug up your great-great-grandma and brought her, right? It's not weekend at Bernie's. That's weird, and you're going to get arrested. It'd be offensive, right? No one wants to see their loved one like that. It's offensive to do something like that. But what I think happens is we see sin as some sort of speed limit. Oh, we broke God's speed limit. But sin is not some kind of cosmic speed limit that you're going to get a fine or a slap on the wrist for. And here's something, as I was thinking about this, that I realized. The seriousness of a problem is often seen in how much it costs to get a solution, right? The seriousness of a problem is often seen in the cost of its solution. So an easy one, car problems, right? The greater the problem or more corrupt the mechanic, the higher the cost, right? So if it's a muffler, a couple hundred bucks, if it's transmission, you might as well buy a new car. That's a high cost, thousands of dollars. Or for me, I lived this out personally many times as a child, but especially in eighth grade. This kid I didn't really like, I decided to jump him after school. Do you guys know what that means? You wait for him and you beat the snot out of him. That's what it means to jump somebody. So I met him after school, me and my friend, and we just beat the crap out of him, and his dad didn't like it for some reason. And so I got charged with assault as an eighth grader, right? Yeah. And so, you know what the cost was? I had to do probation and community service, which meant I had to go dig up crack spoons on the side of our sketchy town we lived in and put them in trash bags for a week wearing a weird jumpsuit thing in eighth grade, right? Don't jump your friends because you will have to pick up dirty crack spoons and you don't want to do that. High cost. Or if you start speeding, right? Uh, I've talked myself out of two speeding tickets, but then the rest of them I have not, which is only like three. But the farther you are past the speed limit, the higher the price of the ticket, right? Or, guys, I don't mean to do this, but I'm going to do it. Student loan debt, right? Student loans. High, big problem, serious problem. What's going to fix it? A lifetime of interest payments. Winning the lottery? Or maybe even your firstborn child. I don't know how in debt you are, but it could be serious. I'm just saying. Gosh, you guys, you need to chill. We need to loosen up, okay? We are free in the gospel of Jesus. That's right. That guy's into tonight. I like whoever's out there. 
How about cancer? Some of you in this room have had cancer, right? It costs a lot of pain on your body to get rid of something that was already causing you pain, didn't it? You've seen maybe loved ones go through chemotherapy and watched the cost to be cured. What I'm trying to help all of us understand is when you sinned, and when you sinned, it's not like you just broke your dad's prized trophy and your older brother Jesus got grounded for you. I mean, think about the effects of sin. It's the reason you have broken relationships. It's the reason your parents are divorced. It's the reason that the unborn never get to take their first breath of life. It's the reason our world is separating at the seams. It's not some cosmic speed limit. And its cost was higher than anything we could ever pay because Jesus, the Son of God himself, had to be murdered. He had to be murdered. More than chemo or radiation, your sin costs the Son of God's red blood. It's a serious problem. And I want some of you in the room to know this. You are like a lung cancer survivor who the minute you knew you were cured, you keep running back to a pack a day, the thing that gave you cancer in the first place. And I'm going to tell you this too. There are some in the room, I need you to know, I have never met anyone who was content with their sin to stay in their life and really knew and loved Jesus and wanted to keep doing it. But on the other side, and this is where I find myself, I've met plenty of you who feel like you will never defeat sin until you're dead. And I'm one of them. Maybe this sounds familiar. Whatever struggle it is, whatever thing you keep running back to, it's like you're in the ocean caught by the waves. And the minute you think you can grasp or gasp for air, another wave hits you. And another wave hits you. And all you keep doing is finding yourself on the ocean floor of failure convinced you're going to drown and you will never be able to breathe again. And I want you to hear me. You have hope in the gospel. Tonight, you have hope in the gospel. Jesus Christ brought you here because he had something to tell you. And it starts with the reality that you have hope in the gospel. Why? Because he says at the end of that first verse, that this is an illogical possibility, a, a Christian and enslaved to sin. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He says, that's not possible because, Saul Company, the day you were born by the gospel, there was also a funeral. The day you were born again, you also died to your sin. Your new life means your sin's death. The day you breathed that new life of no condemnation, the very worst part of you died. The part you've always wanted to get rid of. The part that could only say yes to sin and always said no to God is demolished, left in a grave, and it does not get back up. Look at verse 3. Paul says, are you unaware, because I think a lot of people were just like us, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay, this is not talking about something that happens when you finally get in the baptism tank. It's, it's not. It doesn't need water. It's actually not about water at all. 
The reason we even get baptized is to physically demonstrate this spiritual reality. The day you took your first breath of the gospel, your sin died and you were raised to, do, to new life in Jesus. It happened. You demonstrated physically to the world, to heaven, and hell itself that you had a new name and sin's claims were no longer on your life. That happened. It's not a hope. It's not a dream or a someday reality. It's right now that you can experience it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't wait until heaven to start your transformation. Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is free from sin's claims. Jesus Christ, Salt Company, started a revolution when that tomb was empty. The forces of darkness had lost all power. And since then, he's been reclaiming every one of your lives to push it back. He may have been slaughtered like a lamb, but he rose like a lion. Sin stands no chance. It is a defeated foe. He broke the chains that kept you locked in the dungeon of sin and death. It happened. It's not a hope. What that means is that you were captive but are now free. And when that happens, you actually become more human than you've ever been because you're not bound by sin anymore. Sin can't push you around. Sin can't tell you what to do. Its slimy hands can't grasp your heart. It doesn't own you and it can't control you. It doesn't consume you. You are not a lifeless slave because you have finally been made fully alive. And he unpacks it further when he says this, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. He doesn't just kill our sin, but he brings us to life. You know, Romans 8 verse 11 says, the very same power, the very same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead now dwells in you. That means God himself has made a home in your heart and like gasoline on a bonfire, he lights you up and sin can't stay and it also it means this you have to hear this to be alive to God means that your ability to say no to sin is greater than sin's ability to tempt you to say yes if you are alive to God then you have a power that is greater not in yourself but in God living in you to say no to sin and sin's attempts to tempt you are not as strong as that power that helps you say no. And I think some of you are staring at me and the room feels lifeless because you would say, that's great, Michael, for somebody else. That sounds really awesome and I wanna believe it, but my life doesn't show it at all. I think some of you in this room would say, if it's true, then why do I keep saying yes to it? Or if sin can't make me do anything, why can't I stop? doing it. First thing that you need to know behind the why is because sin is a really desperate ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, okay? There you are. Although we are no longer captive to that spell or that enslavement, the chains have been broken, sin's not totally wiped out. Its rule and reign over you and this world is over but it doesn't go down without a fight, and that fight will last your whole earth, earthly life. I'm not going to pull any punches. But here's the thing. It doesn't 
avoid you like some of you do your ex-boyfriends and girlfriends. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you see them walking up, you're like, oh, I'm suddenly busy and I need to go left. You don't need to go to class today because there's Tanya and I don't want to see Tanya. I don't know any Tanyas. That's the person that came to my head, right? <laughs> it doesn't avoid us like that. It's actually really desperate and aggressive because I think I, it knows its time is short and it's not convinced that it still won't win. Sin is like McDonald's when you're on a diet. You feel me? Or like a guy, ladies, who just won't take a hint. He keeps direct messaging you and trying to ask you out. And you're like, for the last time, I don't even like coffee. You lied, but you needed to get rid of him, right? You're like, get away. And he doesn't get it. He'll do all he can to lure you in. And then he'll, sin will lie to you. It'll tell you, there won't be consequences this time. Hey, you, come on. I promise, I'm different. You will feel good if you try this. I, I promise, I've changed you won't feel judgment again. No, I, I don't have shame with me this time. It tells you click again. Click again. Lock the door. Yet put your hands on her. Put your hands on him. You won't feel bad after this one. It's worth it. Or it looks at other people and it says, yeah, you are better than them. You have every right to judge them. It convinces you that you're entitled, that you deserve things again and again and again, it's manipulative and abusive, and it always seems to convince us to compromise, which then leads us at this place where we constantly feel like failures. And it's in this place that we find the heartbeat of our problem. Because I think when you fail, it's likely two things that probably start to happen. The first, it's kind of scary because nothing. You're almost numb this has happened so many times. Or a twinge of guilt that if you ignore long enough goes away because at this point you're used to it. You think this is just how it's going to be. I can't win. I'm just going to give in and I've accepted it. It's apathetic. It's compromise. You've just accepted defeat. And then the other camp in the room, you fall again and so you throw haymakers at your soul. Called, sin, or called shame and guilt and condemnation. And you hit yourself again and again and again. And you say, I'm going to try harder next time. I'll do more things to stay away from that sin. I'll do another ad block on my website or my web browser. We will leave the door open when we hang out next time. And you just think, I got to try harder. And you know what actually begins to happen and scares me the most is that will lead you to hide your sin. Because as long as you're convinced it's about you trying harder, the more you fail, the more afraid you'll be to admit it, so you'll hide it. And it'll stay secret. And it won't get better. I promise it's going to get worse. If you think it's you that needs to fix it, that's legalism. In both of these are equally harmful to your walk with Jesus. There is, neither of them are places you want to be in. They're just as bad. They're anti-gospel. And what they actually believe, or what they reveal, is that we have a belief problem. That what those two things, they reveal the same thing, that we have a belief problem. There's something wrong with our thinking, with our believing. That's where it's twisted. And although they are very different in the way that they behave, their solution is exactly the same. It's verse 11. Paul says, So you too consider yourselves dead to sin 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You should read that. You too, remind yourself that you are dead to sin. You too, believe, believe that you are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because especially with the gospel, the way you behave will pretty much always reveal what you actually believe. The way you behave, especially in your Christian walk, will reveal what you actually believe. And where that's tricky is it's in your heart that motivates a lot of your actions. So often it's only God who can see them. And tonight he's telling you he sees and he knows and he wants you to be free. Those of you who have given up, I want you to stop crawling back into the grave Jesus rose you out of. You are not defeated. He never planned for you to always feel like this. And it's not the way it's always going to be. You have hope and you should fight. And all my try-harder friends, I love you so much, but you are so wrong. Because it's never been about what you do, right? It's not about try harder. Being dead to sin had nothing to do with you in the first place. And it won't be until you believe the true things God has said about you that you'll actually live in a way that declares victory and sees relief and freedom from sin. And the ultimate truth for either camp or wherever you're at tonight is this. Until you believe you are dead to sin, you will never behave that way. Until you actually begin to believe that you are dead to sin, you will never behave that way. And repeating that to yourself is not some kind of self-help mantra, by the way, because it's the word of God himself who wrote it, who decided it, and enables it in your life. So to tell yourself that, it's not just self-help so you feel good. It's the power of God to conquer the sin that you should never let win again and doesn't deserve to push you around. And here's another problem, and we're all guilty of it. We have really bad memories, right? Uh, you can ask my wife. She'll be like, hey, can you go downstairs to grab the remote? And I'll go downstairs, and I'll start thinking about how much I love pizza and then how much I really want a pizza and then I'll think, oh, what was I supposed to be down here for? And then I'll have to go, honey. And she goes, did you forget again? And I said, yep, do you still love me? She goes, I think so, yeah. <laughs> I forget things all the time. And all of us, for some reason, forget the best things about the gospel all the time. My friend Mark Vance, he calls it spiritual amnesia. For some reason, we often forget the best and truest things about ourselves when it comes to the gospel. We seem to continually forget the truths that we most need to live our Christian lives. And if you look at the language, even in this passage, Paul is over and over and over again trying to get us to actually believe it. When he says, are you unaware? He's saying, because you should be aware that this is truth. And when he says, you may walk in a new way of life, it's a real thing. He says, we have been joined. We know. Consider yourselves. He's asking you to believe it, to actually know that it's true, and to walk in it. But why do we struggle? Why do we struggle? I think it's because we are so used to being slaves. Let me unpack this. So I used to live in Ames, Iowa. And uh, my wife would often be the one to run errands during the day while I was at work. And there was this really funny thing that kept happening for a good month or two where I would get a call from her and she would say, I did it again. And I was like, what? She's like, 
without thinking, and I drove to Target. <laughs> Ladies, yeah. So that like red Target, it's like the eye of Sauron. You're just like, must go to Magnolia. I don't get it, <laughs> right? Must buy Chip and Joanna's things. I don't, it's this weird thing where wherever her brain, without thinking, if she got busy or a kid was screaming, her brain would be like, you need to get things done to Target, you go. It's just what, she had done it so many times that it just sat in her subconscious. Like, bless her. She'd come back and be like, isn't this cute? I was like, how much did it cost? She's like, a dollar. Okay, it's cute. I like that. I can get behind that. I can get behind the dollar bin. So many times. So many times. I'm serious. It is, it is, I love her, but there, I did it again. I did it again. I did it again. Without thinking, she would start to head in that direction. And we do the same thing with sin. We do the same thing with sin. Subconsciously, if we're not thinking or actively fighting, we forget that sin hijacked our hearts long ago. And it had its way for so long that I don't care if you got saved when you were five or five minutes ago. That is enough time for sin to sink its teeth in and begin to brainwash you and convince you that the only life you will live is one of slavery. And I found a story about this. So... Everybody seen The Greatest Showman, or most of you have, right? Yeah. So it's about a circus. I'm not really into the circus. It's not my thing. It smells weird. Animals, you know, bearded people. I don't know. Um, it's ironic. Uh, so one of, like, the biggest attractions in the circus, right, is the elephant. People love the elephant. So cute. Makes noise. Spits on you. And especially, who doesn't love a baby elephant, right? Like, yeah, my wife loves baby elephants. I don't know why. Some dude's really into baby elephants. Okay, so especially in Eastern culture, though, uh, you probably won't like what they do to baby elephants, okay? So they get them as babies, and it's weird. You will go to a circus, and if you've ever noticed, there are these full-size mammoth elephants just sitting completely still. But if you look closely, there's often a rope around their neck, okay? When they're babies, what these people do is they tie a rope really tight around their neck, around their foot, And they tie them either to a pole or a tree strong enough to keep them there. And so every time that young elephant tries to get away, it tries to pull or wrench, what it begins to believe is, I can't escape because all it feels is the rope burning into its skin or cutting into its leg. So its whole life, it's growing up. Every time it tried to escape, it's just burning, cutting. I can't escape. I can't get out. And that's why you see them sitting there, these full-sized elephants with these tiny ropes around their necks. At any moment, if they knew it, they could run absolutely free. But because from a young age, they were convinced and brainwashed that that could never be a possibility. They sit there. And we do the same thing with our sin. Some of us have been sitting in sin or the same struggles for so long that when we came to know Jesus, we assumed that's just how it was going to be. Because every other time we tried to break free, it would hurt and cause pain. And even still, as I know Jesus, it does the same thing. And I'm telling you right now, tonight, you are not a slave. God is done with sin lying to you. You are a son or a daughter. You have no rope around your neck. You are not tied to any tree. If you are in Christ, you are absolutely free. And you cannot be held there by sin's claims over your life. Compromise and failure were never supposed to be the two words that describe your walk with Jesus. 
He did not go to the cross and rise from the dead for that. And tonight, he's tired of all of us living like we have no way out. And he wants you to hear not condemnation, not guilt or shame, but freedom and hope. Because those are the things that should describe your Christian life and your walk with Jesus. And he puts this opportunity before us. And in his power, he gives us the chance to choose him. You know, that's the thing sin stole in the first place. It killed you and made you incapable of living for God, the one thing every human being has to do to actually survive and thrive because it's not your physical death you should be worried about, it's your spiritual one. And what God does in making you alive to him is gives you the chance to not live like some enslaved orphan, but to finally choose God and live how you were always meant to be. I know every person in the room would say, I don't want to live with the word shame always following what I do. I don't want to constantly be about to fall asleep and think of all the things I wish I wouldn't have done. And when God makes you alive, he can stop that trend and he intends to. Look at verse 12. It says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. The greatest news of tonight is God gives you a choice. Where you once had no choice, you can finally choose life. And you can begin to live like you were always meant to, Salt Company. And so what I want to do is beg some of you to listen to me right now. Because you are choosing a prison cell over a palace. Some of you are living like orphans who have been adopted into a royal family. And there is a 10-course meal waiting for you on the dinner table. But every time we look for you, we find you behind the garage digging through the dumpster over and over and over again. Jesus Christ did not raise you from the grave to find you lying in it. He did not free you from your prison to constantly find you shackling yourself to that place again. Sin has lied to you and he's had enough. This is not hopeful thinking. This is reality. You can believe that right now and your life can forever be changed. Because yeah, you may lose some battles, but he won the war. And he does not lose. And he intends for you to experience victory now. You are not a slave. Saying no to sin should not be a burden. It's an undeserved privilege. A chance to be more like creation or, or the creation we are always meant to be. I mean, listen, the power to say no to sin is your gospel-given birthright. The blood of Jesus poured out in the empty tomb means you can tell sin to take a hike. Like an independent woman who don't need no man, you can tell sin to go. You hear me? Amen. That's right. And not fight like it's physical in case you're wondering if you should throw your dukes up. But fight where, yeah, you like that? Paul Savino said duds a couple weeks ago. It was pretty bad. This is, where I, this is a big distinction because you can still walk away from this and be like, okay, God gave me power. God gave me power. God gave me power. And if you live like that, you're just a legalist and you're going to fail again. You see, the passage says, present yourselves to God. What that means is you wake up every day and you say, I am dead to sin and so I want to be alive to God. And you tell God, I don't know how to do it, but you can. It's a humility. It's an honesty. 
It's a confession of your weakness that brings about the life-giving power that he wants to offer you. And it's not like a magic trick, so don't think if I don't say that prayer today, I don't get it. It's always there. It's just often we forget or believe a lie and fall into sin again. And that's not what the gospel was intended to do. Jesus Christ did not save you and me so we would live lives of settled slavery. He saved you and me to live a life, although it's painful and hard, and we will leave with scars, it's still supposed to be beautiful because we have a future glory. And his power was so good and so great that he didn't wait for heaven to start it. It happens now. You don't have to wait until you're dead to experience victory over your sin. You have to believe that. This passage is a promise that you can change. Freedom from sin is not wishful thinking. It's gospel fact. It just takes you believing it every single day. Tattoo it on your eyelids. Write it on your bathroom mirror. Put it everywhere you can because I promise you're going to forget again tomorrow morning. And when you fall in sin, you have to remind yourself, I am not condemned. And when it comes calling again because it doesn't give up, it's persistent, you remind yourself, I am dead to this and I can walk in new life by telling God, I know I can't, but you can. Would you do it in me? Would you help me be free? And verse 14 is your promise. If you're in a pattern of sin right now and you feel like there's no way for me to win, you need to write verse 14 down and you need to tell yourself that thing every day. Sin will not rule over you. Will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace. It is a promise. It is a promise. And so I want some of you to get up tonight and remember to fight. And I want some of you to stop thinking this fight is yours. And I want all of us to step back and worship because it's not just our guilt that's now gone, it's sin's power. And we can live lives free like we were always meant to be. And I wanna pray and then I wanna worship to that end. Jesus, please help us believe it. This is not some wishful thinking that I do wanting to get rid of a bad habit. It's a reality because my sin was not some cosmic speed limit. It was a broken relationship that separated me from you. And in my delight of my sin, in my enjoyment of my sin, you came after me. When I wanted nothing to do with you, you wanted everything to do with me. And it had nothing to do with my behavior because it was awful. And even if it was good, you don't care. It was all about you. You are writing a story. You are writing a story about your gospel, your good news, your reckless love, this ridiculous reality. That the miracle that happened when you parted the Red Sea is still one that happened in a greater way when you parted the sea between you and me. And I can be free tonight. And I want that to be the truth that is spoken and believed by every person in this room. If you don't know Jesus tonight, I pray tonight you would hear him crying out, come home. I'm right here. Be free. And would all of us sing because we can. Because as much as sin tries, it can't hold us down. We are a free people alive to you. This has been a message from the Salt Company. We'd love for you to join us Thursday nights at 8 p.m. at Kandeo Church in Cedar Falls.